Welcome to the second episode of the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Romy. And I'm Sandler. Thanks so much for tuning in. Before we jump into today's episode, we wanted to wish everyone a very happy new year. We all know that 2020 was a weird one and we're thinking of all of you who have had it tough. We hope that 2021 brings more light and in the words of the famous high school musical cast, we're all in this together. <laughs> That's so lame. Shut up. <laughs> Um, and we're, um, <laughs> I love for sure to talk about that. <laughs> Oh, can we please keep this in? Oh my gosh. Uh, we also wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone for your support and feedback with the release of our first episode a few weeks back. The response has been so overwhelming and we're really excited to grow this project in 2021. From here on out, we'll be dropping a new podcast every other Monday and we've got a bunch of dope episodes lined up for the year looking at South Asian films, casteism versus racism, mental health, gender roles, colorism, and plenty more. Yeah, and we'll also be interviewing creatives, authors, and academics to pick their brains and learn from them too so that you don't just get bored of listening to Sandra and I talking. That all being said, what are we focusing on for today's episode, Romy? In this episode, we're getting right into the nitty-gritty and talking about relationships. From dating at a young age to interracial and interfaith relationships, all the way through to double standards between guys and girls and reaching a certain age and the expectations of marriage. Yeah, and I think it's really important to highlight that we won't be speaking too much about the LGBTQI cross-ethnic experience and themes around marriage because we'll have specific episodes on those topics with some special guests later in the year. This is going to be a relatable episode for many, so be sure to share it with a mate. Let's get it. So, Romy, as we do with all of our podcasts, now that we've dropped one, <laughs> <laughs> um, what's something that you learned this week? I feel like I should be better prepared because I knew you were going to ask this question, <laughs> but I didn't really think about it. It's only episode two and we're already slacking. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, so something I learned, I'll be honest, it wasn't in the past week, but it was towards the end of the work year last year. Um, and this sounds super cheesy. <laughs> I don't want to say cheesy. this as a learning, but Sandin encouraged me to. Um, and I learned that I need to believe in myself a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of, a little bit difficult on myself and I think maybe a lot of people can relate to this. How did you realise this? And I kind of, um, my manager told me that I need to believe in myself more. Um, yeah, and then I was like, yeah, I probably should, I'll work on it. But what happened? But it was something that I'm always, oh, I had my review <laughs> and then, you know, it was, it was good. Like it was, you know, better than I thought because I always think that I'm not doing good enough. Um, and then, I, but I'm always aware that I also don't celebrate when I like achieve something good. I kind of just go, okay, whatever. I'm just doing my job, and I just. I've noticed this about you too. Um, and I'm, I think a lot of people are like this. Like you're a bit like this too. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then so yeah, he he basically gave me a little bit of talk and told me to believe myself a little bit more. Um, which is totally true. So I need to make a conscious effort to do that. Yeah, and I'll, I think I'm going to hold you accountable to that. Oh, my God. Because now it's not just me who says that. You need to believe in yourself more. Your manager thinks it too. <laughs> How about you? What did you learn? Yeah, so um, in our last episode, you recommended a David Attenborough documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was talking about that docker with a mate of mine from work. And he mentioned that he's been using this app called Bicot, um, which is spelled B-U-Y-C-O-T-T. 
Um, so basically, you download the app, um, you create an account, and you sign up for campaigns that you're either passionate or concerned about to do with kind of environmental impacts. So it could be things like reducing uh, palm oil use or having a sustainable carbon footprint or, you know, reducing animal testing. Um, so the next time you're out doing your grocery shopping, you'd um, pull out your phone, you'd open up the app and you can scan the barcode of a product that you want to buy. And it'll give you a profile of that manufacturer you want to purchase from um, saying, you know, whether that manufacturer conflicts or abides to the campaigns that you're concerned about. Oh, that's awesome. um, so I think that was a really cool thing to learn about, especially at the beginning of the year, because in 2021, that's something that I want to be more conscious of. Um, and that's, you know, having, uh, making more ethical uh, purchasing decisions. Yeah, me too. That's a good one. I'll check out the app. So that's something I like this week. Awesome. Um, I think when it comes to dating for ethnics in the Western world, mm-hmm. things are evolving in our communities, but there's still so much space to grow and there's still plenty of things that we need to unlearn and normalise. Like, for example, dating young. Yeah. Um, and I didn't date in high school. Mm-hmm. So the way I saw that was there were two families that we would hang out quite regularly with in school. And um, whenever we hung out, we'd often end with like a late night discussion about you know, something divisive or controversial that's happening in the world, right? Right. Um, and it'd be interesting because people would have different opinions on different issues depending on which generation they're a part of mm-hmm. and where they grew up. Um, and I think when it came to the topic of relationships, as teenagers, our ideas and perspectives were kind of brushed off a little. So basically in your case, the parents didn't take your opinions into account. Yeah, I think, too young. yeah I think that was a little bit of, you know, you're too young you guys don't really know about this stuff. Yeah. You know, think about it later. Think about it when you're older. Did you feel any of that when you yeah. were younger? Yeah. So um, I can totally relate to that because um, I was flat out told that I was too young to date when I was in high school. Let me guess, because you had to focus on studying. Yes, that's exactly why. And I think that's why a lot of parents, um, ethnic parents, I'll say, are not comfortable with their kids dating because they don't want the relationship or this new boy or this girl to distract their own kid from their education, uh, which I understand. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think there's a lot of value in being in a relationship at a young age and you're going through hormones and all of that. Like, you, you know, your parents that saying happens. no won't really stop you. Um, I know a lot of people who dated in high school and pretty much had to hide it from their parents. Um, I was one of those people. <laughs> Um, but you know, I, I wish I could have just openly told my parents about it and just said, look, if my grades go down because of this boy, you know, then you can intervene. Um, but otherwise, like I'll promise I'll keep my grades up and they won't go down cause, cause of him. Um, I, I wish I had that conversation and maybe I should have. <laughs> so you said you hid it from your parents. Yeah. How extreme was hiding? Did you go into full oh my spy mode? I, um, Oh, it was crazy. I don't know how I did it, um, but, you know, if we were in public together <laughs> and anyone else who can relate, please, please tell us. Please Three DM me and let me it. know. <laughs> but if I was in public and with <laughs> with my boyfriend and we saw, like, I had this radar, this auntie or uncle radar where, like, I could spot people from, like, a mile away in, like, a shopping centre or 
I was in a car once and we were driving and I saw this like uncle's car go past and I literally like went down <laughs> in my feet. I literally just ducked out and I don't even know how I noticed, but I was like, oh, we're in the area that this uncle lives. What if he drives past? And he did. I just swear to you, this is a true story. Um, so in, even in a shopping center, if I like saw someone from a distance that my parents knew, I would just like run away. Like I would just leave Adrian there. And I would go in the opposite direction and he would just be like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> so he didn't have any concerns with his family no. reacting the same way that you're scared that your parents are No, right? and I don't know if it's a guy versus girl thing and some double standards there, but he pretty much introduced me when we were in high school and they were fine with it. Um, which I think was the good approach to just be open about it. And then that way, you know, your parents know where you are at all times. They know who you're hanging out with. I would have much preferred that. And for my future children, I will be so open with them about it because I do not want them to to hide such a significant part of their life from me. Um, and I think, like we said before, a lot of it comes down to parents not wanting, um, you know, your education to be derailed because you're distracted. So, what was the worst case scenario? They probably would have told me to break up with the guy. Yeah. And by the way, I'm still with this guy. <laughs> so it was a good decision to, to, I mean, I don't know if it was good to hide it, but it wasn't like so a crash and burn. For any kids out there who want no, to date no, don't do it. Later, don't do it. And you're the example <laughs> to base, to go to no, your parents. terrible. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in high school and dating someone, please don't hide it. Don't do anything stupid. Just be honest with your parents. Don't do what I did. Stand up for your relationship <laughs> instead. Yeah, for me, I didn't date in school, mm-hmm. but... I think what was good for me is that I went to a co-ed school uh, and you know me, I'm generally someone who's reserved, but once you get to know me, I'm a bit of a goof. <laughs> um, but I was even more timid back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so going to a co-ed school was really good for me because I got to learn about perspectives through, you know, female friends that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And I think that helped bring me out of my shell a little mm-hmm. bit. But I think in the Eastern world, sometimes there is a bit of a stigma of when you're young, making friends with the opposite sex. Mm, yeah, yeah. And Interestingly, I went to a single sex school um, and some friends and some people I know who also went to single sex schools or even, you know, my own group of friends from school, um, some said that when they finished school and started uni, they found it hard to, or they were a bit nervous or timid talking to guys. Um, And I'm sure maybe some guys who went to all boys schools felt the same when they were talking to girls. Um, And they didn't really know how to interact with the opposite sex, Mm. Um, even from, you know, working on group assignments together or even from a dating point of view and trying to mingle or get to know people that way at parties, um, things like that. They found that difficult because of the lack of exposure at school as well. Yeah. Um, I loved going to a single sex school, but it's interesting to hear those different opinions that come about from that too. Do you think the extreme, like, version of that is, you know, like the CD... (laughs) Uh, Indian guys who like slide into DMs of young girls asking for things which I won't mention on the podcast (laughs) do you think that's the extreme of it because so if you're not exposed at a young age how to interact with the opposite gender then by the time you reach that age you've got a very different view of gender roles and how relationships work than people who do have those experiences at a younger age. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of value that that does come from either dating at a young age or seeing, you know, people around you, like your friends or your siblings. Well, that's like me because I didn't date 
until I was in my early 20s. But a lot of my friends around me did. Mm -hmm. So I started to get an understanding of how relationships should work through vicariously seeing their experiences Mm -hmm. and what they've gone through. Yeah, should and shouldn't work, right? Yeah. I think that's almost... Yeah, that's probably a better way to put it. Equally as valuable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I understand for parents, especially immigrant parents, why it's hard to let their kids date young because, you know, it's a concept that's usually foreign to them. Um, It's a distraction from what they kind of would normally prioritize. And I guess there's always that thing of, you know, my kids are still in the stages where they're maturing. So they're exposed to something that's kind of messy in a relationship that might stain the way they see themselves or see how relationships should work. But on the flip side, I feel like those growing pains are also important because they start shaping a better understanding of yourself mm. and the dynamics between people. Yeah. Um, uh, but like ask me when I've got a daughter <laughs> and I'm like, you know, there's teenage boys with teenage hormones around you and I kind of don't like this. Oh Stay away. She'll come running to me. And oh my gosh. You her, better tell me. Her secret relationship. You better tell me. Oh, we, I don't know. I don't know. Hot buds are bonded by blood. <laughs> I don't know if I can um, do your daughter dirty like that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting because my parents um, actually, now that I'm older, tell me stories of their friends who dated at young or were in relationships at a young age, um, like in high school and, you know, going through breakups and stuff like that. And I think there are some, a handful of people who ended up getting married and, you know, are still together and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a lot of relationships that went south and like people who got distracted from school because of it and they've kind of seen like the negatives of it um and I think that's also why that they kind of projected that onto me as well and and said that you know it's probably not a good path to go down because is that also a combination of like what dating means in the east versus the west yeah exactly and that's what I was about to say next because I think it's because people that did get into relationships at a young age in Sri Lanka it was still like with this idea that they'll eventually get married because the concept of dating isn't something that's really prevalent in the East, right? Right. Like now it is, like things have come a long way and and it's become more progressive and westernised, I guess. Um, But back then you got into a relationship, like I said, with that longevity and that idea of like this is going to hopefully work out long-term. Obviously still people still broke up if they needed to or whatever. Um, But I think because of that long-term thought, um, that's probably also why they don't want you to get into a relationship at a young age because it's just taken too seriously. Mm. It's not this idea of dating just to get to know someone, which is how we see dating, right? It's like we don't know where it'll go, but, you know, we'll just get like just kind of hang out and see what happens. Whereas there it's like you get into something and it's like a full-fledged relationship from the get-go. I mean, I guess it comes down to expectations, right? Mm. Um, I think like if you look at the arranged marriage model, um, your family history, your education and your career is enough to start getting matches, right? So if you're raised in a household where those things are the priority to find a partner, your views on relationships are probably going to be different to people who follow the love marriage model, which focuses more on a person's character. Yeah, and the funny thing is I didn't even know my parents had a love marriage for the longest time. Like we never really spoke openly about relationships, which is another thing that I think I wish parents spoke more about. Now that I'm an adult, they do. But, you know, for the longest time as a kid, I didn't know my parents had a love marriage. I didn't know how they met. Like, they never spoke about those Mm. things. And I think that's something that I will also be more open with my own kids about. I mean, 
our parents and the older generations in our communities have so much wisdom, right? Yeah. Because they've experienced so much and we have being in a long-term relationship or seeing family members and their friends go through trials and tribulations. But in our communities, those are conversations that growing up we never really had, right? Yeah. So as kids and young adults, we have assumptions about what our parents would say and how they'd react if we came to them with issues, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or we don't have those relationships with them um, to speak openly about these kind of things. So um, in my example, my last relationship lasted two years and was interfaith. So to all the aunties and uncles out there who didn't know this about me, <laughs> what up, fam? <laughs> um, so we had the same cultural background, but we belonged to different religions. Mm -hmm. um, and normally that's something that I would have hidden from my parents early on in the relationship. But yeah. I wanted to talk to them about it because there's so many external moving parts. Um, and I wanted to get their perspective and their insights, which... Yeah. You know, normally I wouldn't kind of go out of my way to get. Yeah. Um, and I'm really glad I did because that was like the light bulb moment for me to be like, wait, I'm an adult. I can have adult conversations with my adult parents. <laughs> it's actually kind of cool. Yeah, right? that's awesome. Um, but then throwing my cousins under the bus a little bit. I know a couple who are into, who have dated interracial. And their whole thing was, you know, they're not going to tell their parents until they know it's a real deal. Yeah. Because they know they might kick up a bit of a storm because they're with someone who they might not normally expect them to end up with. Yeah. Um, so if they are going to fight for this relationship, they're only going to fight for it if they know that it's the real deal. Mm. But they miss out on things because they're not sharing that with their parents. Yeah, um, I can relate to that because this relationship that I've been talking about <laughs> through this episode, I feel like it relates to so many <laughs> topics that we've talked about. But um, it is an interfaith relationship and an interracial relationship. And I'll say interracial with like, air quotes because he's brown but just a different type of brown so I don't know if that really counts um but he's Fijian Indian and my family's Sri Lankan and his family's Christian and mine's Hindu so I guess we've got like both of that difference and uh, one of the reasons that um I didn't tell my parents or another reason I didn't tell my parents um and I, I waited a little bit was because I was unsure of how they would react mm -hmm. to the fact that this guy I'm with is not Sri Lankan doesn't speak Tamil and is not Hindu uh, and going back to the topic of not talking about this openly with parents. Um, those are all things that I was kind of overthinking and worried about. So I also waited till it was a bit serious in the sense, you know, I was a, a little bit older, like I'd gotten into uni and everything when I told them about it. And they didn't bat an eyelid. They were like, okay, whatever. Like they didn't even ask me what That's he so does. Good. I had a speech. <laughs> I had a whole thing prepared <laughs> on what I was going to say. I remember because I think we went out with our group of friends the Friday before you're going to tell your parents that weekend. Oh my gosh. And I've yeah. never seen you that stressed in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I was so nervous. And then I told my mom and she was like, yeah, I know. I knew. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you, knew, you knew all this time? She was like, yeah, I did. I was just waiting till you were ready to tell me. And I was like, you're actually really cool. <laughs> and I think that's when I realized that my parents are actually super chill. Yeah. Um, and so, super understanding. But... So in your head, you assume that your parents would have a bit of backlash that yeah. you're dating someone who's not uh, Sri Lankan Tamil Hindu. Like I know people whose parents have said, you must only get with a person of this background. And my parents never said that to me. So I wasn't sure if they just didn't want to have the conversation or if they truly didn't care. Yeah. And I think it, it's really difficult. I mean, we live in Australia. I mean, you guys listening, some of you could be in America, Canada, wherever. 
um, where it's a multicultural society. So you're mingling with people from different backgrounds and, and different religions um, and different ethnicities. So it's difficult, you know, if you do click with someone who is of a different background, it's difficult to, you know, kind of get it like to stop that from from happening if you think that that's the person that's right for you but the sort of surface level things of them being not the right religion or the right background if those are the things that are stopping you that's a hard thing to come past so and, and I think that also comes to you know gay marriage and all of that which as Senna said before will come to in another episode because that's a whole topic in itself um, but you know we've got like 25 million people in Australia with like I think I read over like 150 different backgrounds or ethnicities Doesn't surprise or me at all. Yeah. like how you know do you just and then within your age group and all of that find yeah. someone who's a good person has similar values to you but then also speaks the same language same country you know same um religious background like all of those things it's often hard to line up yeah and then sometimes you get to that you find someone of the same everything and then caste comes in and it's like oh but you know back in sri lanka or India so let's, or save this, let's save this for the cast yeah but that's another uh, that's another because, problem that comes up oh right? there's there's so much we could yeah, dive into exactly. when it comes to that yeah um yeah and and, and to that sometimes you would have people like like my mama, which is my grandma, mm-hmm. um, she'll say, "Oh, you know, it's so nice that this person's dating someone who's the same culture and religion and so on." Um, but I know them personally, and I know they're not cultural or religious at all, right? They're just ticking off these <laughs> yeah. boxes on it's paper. Like surface stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I know I know couples who are the same um, ethnic background, but they have no plans of passing on the heritage to their kids. Now, other couples who are interracial, interfaith, and they put more effort to learn about their partner's yeah. culture and share that with their kids. Yeah. Which, you know, in 2021, I mean, different people are going to value different things. Yeah. But I guess there should be more fluidity and people should expect more fluidity. Yeah. And I think it's different if you yourself want that. If, if you specifically want to get with a girl or a guy who's of the same religion or the same cultural background as you um, because those are important values to you, that's a difference. That's where I'm at. Yeah. That's where yeah. I'm at because for me, I wouldn't rule out um, dating someone who's not of the same uh, cultural background as me. But at this moment, if you were to ask me what my ideal girl was, I would say that it was someone with the same background because I'm assuming that we'll be able to have a deeper level of connection to our heritage, our language, um, our culture, our values, because I'd assume we'd be brought up in a similar way because we've got a similar culture. So speaking of your ideal girl, yeah. any girls out there who are single, please, oh please God. DM us. DM me. I am on the hunt to set up my friend Sandlin here. <laughs> I can't believe you did that. But at the same time, I'm not even mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I know people who, you know, prefer to date um, people of the same religion as them because they've got that as a foundation of their life and they want someone who can share that with them. So it's different if it's your own personal preference, but I think when it's sort of imposed upon you and you're making decisions but not really, it's not really what you want, um, I think that, you know, that can be where that tension comes through. I've yeah. known people whose parents haven't you know, come to their weddings or and that sort of thing because they're marrying someone of a different religion. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about that in the marriage episode later on in the year. Yeah. Um, but I think the best example that a lot of people would know of is in My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I don't know if you've seen the movie. Nice. Um, such a good movie. <laughs> 
But when Tula and Ian get together, that clash of like the Greek culture with, with you know, sort of the Caucasian American culture, um, think of that pretty much. That idea can translate through to different mm. um, ethnicities where, you know, their parents kind of freak out at first and then end up warming up to Ian. Um, I instantly thought of that when yeah. thinking about inter. inter- yeah, I mean, as you see in heaps of movies, um, like Ben like Beckham, yeah. uh, Big Sick, yeah. Namesake. Um, there's all these movies, like speaking specifically to brown people, but of course it's not um, not a struggle for only kids like us, right? It'll be any, people of any ethnic background if their parents have a rigid way of looking at relationships. Um, so we've spoken about our perspectives dating ethnic in the Western world. And I think something that we do need to be a little bit sensitive about is we can't really understand what it's like for our parents and the generations older than us to raise kids um, in the Western world and to have them grow up with a different expectations of relationships and dating mm. to what they grew up with. Yeah. When I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that we would have these big discussions with the extended family about different topics, sometimes I feel like the points that the older generations had were lost in translation. Okay. Um, because, like, my mum says it all the time. Sometimes she comes across harsher than she means to because she thinks in Tamil and is trying to translate and speak in English. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think there's, there's things like that. There's also things like the way we communicate between the generations. I feel like it could be a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I was thinking of like all the points why the older generations, our parents or the greater society would want us to end up with people of the same cultural background as us. Um so one of the points I thought of, and I think this is the one that I could probably rationalize with the most, is the whole thing about, you know, we left our homeland to give you a better life in a foreign world. Um, there's so many things that we left behind from our culture and the richness of all of that. And we want that to be carried on to the future generations of our family. So we want you to end up with someone who's similar to us because it'll be easier to do that if we have that set up through your marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's also probably the point that I can rationalise with the most. But I think, like you said before, there are people you know who are dating people of the same background, but neither of them really care too much about their heritage or passing that on. Right. So I think it does come down to your values at the end of the day. So even if you are dating someone outside of your own culture or religion um, and that's okay with you, then if you really do value those things, then you're probably going to put in an effort to pass that on to your future kids, although although they'd be mixed race children, um, you'd still want to pass that on. And I think if, you know, your partner um, respects the fact that that's important to you, if they respect that enough, then they'll also kind of let you, you know, take the lead on that and and pass that on um, to your future kids as well. Definitely comes down to value and effort, like you said. Yeah. I think another point that I was thinking about is that sometimes the older generations have a fear of what's unfamiliar. Yep. So if their kids are dating someone who's not of the same cultural background as them and they're experiencing a lifestyle that they're not familiar with, they kind of assume that they've rejected their own culture and they're getting pulled away by something else. Yeah. And because and maybe that's an extreme version of that. But the other thing is that, you know, if they're, they're getting involved with a family who is very different to their own, maybe they feel like they won't be able to connect with their child yeah. or that other side of the family the same way they would like to with someone of the same cultural background. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think um, 
I mean, I, I have friends whose parents, you know, prefer someone of the same cultural background for language reasons too because mm-hmm. like something is, you know, we don't see as a big deal. That's something they really think about because of that connection thing. Yeah. They're scared that if they, because their English isn't that strong or they don't speak the same language as that person um, or the other family that their parent, you know, that their kid has started dating into um they think kind of that longevity side of things and they think oh if they get married then we won't be able to communicate or have that connection like you said as well um but it does I think a lot of parents tend to forget the fact that they probably haven't been brought up in a multicultural society but having you know been brought up in the western world we are in a multicultural society and we have friends of different backgrounds and, you know, going to school, there's people around us that are different, you know, backgrounds or uni or wherever work. Um, so for us, it's easier, I think, to gel with and, and probably, you know, relate to people from other cultural backgrounds because we've got that commonality of being brought up in the Western world. Um, so there will be some values that overlap there because yeah. of that Western influence and I think parents tend to forget that. Um, so they feel like it would be hard for us to, you know, get into a relationship or down the line marry someone of a different background. Yeah. But for us it, it may not be because, you know, we're all kind of just brought up in that multicultural society and we're used to it. Yeah, and I'm sure you have multicultural friends and you've learned from their cultural differences mm. to yours as well, right? Mm. Which I think is a strength of uh, interracial relationships. But I also understand the insecurities that the parents or all the generation yeah. might have with seeing their kids kind of adopt a new culture Mm, themselves. Yeah, because, and then the fear of losing their own in that process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the last point, which I think is going to be a recurring theme, um, is being concerned that your kid's dating someone who's not of the same cultural background because you're fearful of what other people will think. Um, So the whole thing about, you know, prioritising what other people think over your happiness. You know, I might have a child who's dating someone and they're genuinely happy. And rather than celebrating that happiness, I'm more concerned about what other people in the community think because they're dating someone who's not like us. Mm. Um, so that whole mentality, which I think is probably not only applicable to dating, but it could be career or lifestyle. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. And I think often it takes someone else in your group of family, friends or relatives yeah. or cousins, someone older than you to do that Take thing. Yeah, whether it be date someone who's not of your own background or own religion or whatever it may be, kind of break that ice. It takes that in order for, and then whoever, you know, that person's parents to be okay with it and then everybody else becomes okay with it. And it often, often takes that. Are you that for your family? Are your family friends? No, I think in general, I have a group of fairly progressive family friends, but, you know, my sister, for example, pretty much introduced her boyfriend to my parents and she was like 18. You're welcome. And they were t- I know, right? You're welcome, Abby. Throw her under the bus again. Um, and then I think around that too is often this double standard between guys and girls. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm maybe generalising. No, I think, I mean, you've got a sister. Yeah. And I've got a brother. Mm, so and we don't really. So, yeah, yeah we, we don't really get to see that, that different dynamic. But I can speak uh, from my cousin's experience. So, yeah, I, I definitely do think there is a double standard. Um, so I feel like guys have a tendency to get a bit more freedom, whether that's, you know, what they wear or who they hang out with or how late they're hanging out with whoever, um, which girls I don't think have it that easy. Mm, and I've heard of people 
um, say that, you know, their aunties and uncles are okay with boys just having fun and kind of dating around, whereas girls are not really allowed to do that. Um, And I've heard people say that, you know, in my sort of, you know, circle. So um, I think there is that freedom sometimes that sons have of, being able to date who they want to be with who they want, but girls don't always have that. And um, I think another thing is, like, when you reach, like, your mid-20s, girls are going to get asked about when they're getting married, but guys aren't. <laughs> yeah. I've had um, – it, it's happened to me a couple of times. Has it happened to you? It has, but I think it's been definitely a lot more lighthearted and joking um, than it has been more serious for, like, my girl cousins, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're probably a bit older when you got asked. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. I think the expectations people have – for guys and girls is very different as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny the number of people who are getting a lot of pressure now, now that we're in our sort of mid twenties, mm-hmm. um, to get married and they're like, all all the guys are gone. <laughs> they're all taken. Yeah. Why it's the whole thing of like me? of like up until you're twenty five, your parents don't want you to have yeah. guy friends. And yeah. then you hit twenty five and like, why didn't you get married? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, um, when did you give me the opportunity to meet anyone? Yeah. Like they're all married or gone or taken yeah. now. Um, that's the other thing about, you know, having that timeline. You get to a certain age, like you said, then you start getting asked about marriage um, and that, that pressure comes in, um, which is where then, you know, all the criteria for who you're with starts to get laid out yeah. and then you get questioned about, you know, where it's going and, and when you'll get married and take the next step as well. But I think that's a whole topic for another episode. So, you know, we've spoken about all these things. Do you feel like our community has progressed in terms of dating? Yeah, I think it has come a long way, especially now um, and for parents who have sort of lived in a foreign country for a while they've assimilated or kind of taken on some of the values of the western world a little bit more too so I think it has come a long way um, but there are some you know pockets in our of, of people or families in our society who are still a little bit narrow-minded when it comes to that and like I've known people who haven't come to their kids weddings because they're marrying outside of their own faith or their own backgrounds so things like that still happen mm. um you know which is obviously very sad for their kid but um you know I think there's still a, a bit of a way to go for that and I think it it will probably come with our generation getting older and having kids, I I think that's when, or hopefully I think that's when it will become a bit more fluid and open. Yeah. I think um, there's two ways that I kind of see it. One is how it's slowly getting easier for my younger cousins to do things that were a bit more of a struggle for my cousins who are my age or a little bit older. Yeah. And the other way is um, my mom, who used to watch a lot of South Asian films, hadn't for a while, but she started again during the lockdown period. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, she lived in India and Sri Lanka, but obviously she's not there now. So the window she has into those worlds are through films. Mm -hmm. And, um, what she, one thing that she picked up on was how open the portrayals of relationships are now versus Mm -hmm. what they were when she was growing up. So things like, um, couples living together before they were married or, um, you know, public displays of affection, um, those are things that are more like kind of talked about and prevalent now than it was yeah. back when she was growing up. Yeah. Um, so I think we have taken leaps and bounds forward, yep. but there are still um, things that we do need to work on. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's clear when we see, um, we see that in the examples of hate crimes in India, where, 
people are persecuted because they're dating someone that's different to what their families or communities expect them to end up with. Mm. Okay, so before we close off this episode, rec- uh, <laughs> the recommendation, do you have a recommendation? <laughs> okay, so before we close off this episode, Sandin, do you have any recommendations for myself and the listeners? Yeah, I do. So um, my recommendation is a book called Song of the Sun God, written by Shankri Chandran, who I'd love to get on the podcast one day. Yeah. Um, the book follows the journey of three generations of the same family as they navigate the um, ethnic conflict in Sri Lanka and eventually migrate to Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really beautifully written in the ways it touches on, you know, connection to homeland, identity, um, the different struggles, different generations confront uh, as immigrants. It also draws a little from the Mahabharata as well, which is one of the two big Hindu epics. Um, and I'd eventually love to do a podcast on that narrative and Ooh. its things because the Mahabharata has, you know, so much depth and so many characters and the Bhagavad Gita and I just yeah. love it. Uh, but yeah, I feel like with Shankari's book, I can replace the names of her characters with people I know and connected the story of many immigrants through that. Yeah. So, um, so I really love the book and would love to hopefully get her on the podcast one day and pick her brain on her writing process and her stories. And um, I think that would be really, really cool yeah nice what about you rami uh, what's your first recommendation for 2021 so my recommendation is not as deep as yours <laughs> mine is a drink oh. which can be made as a cocktail or a mocktail okay give it to me um so it's basically bacardi rum ginger ale i'm already in <laughs> <laughs> apple juice and cranberry juice Ooh. mixed together and then you can cut up like orange slices, some raspberries, chuck that in. Oh, um, that sounds, and it's delicious. sounds like a perfect summer drink. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I wanted to recommend it because it's still summer here in Australia. Um, Is this and... something that was like a Christmas thing for you? Yes, it was. Yeah. And I recommended it to a few people who also made it at their own Christmas parties. Um, and you can just take out the rum and make it a mocktail if you don't drink. And it's delicious and very refreshing and, and some ice as well. It's great. Maybe we need a cup of that for our next podcast. Yes, totally. <laughs> I think that's all we have time for today. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at stuckinbetween underscore podcasts. If you are listening, we would love it if you could screenshot our episode on your phone and put it up on your Instagram stories and tag us so we know the little community that we're starting to build. And stay tuned for our next episode on Jan 18th, where we'll dive into the South Asian film industry and the gender roles within it with our very first guest. Catch you then.